Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine, advancing medicine through precision diagnostics and novel therapies. Your host is Dr. Lee Friedman. Hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, or HIPEC, is one of the most innovative treatments available today for complex abdominal cancers. What is it? Who's a candidate? And what are the outcomes? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Yorgos Karakousis, Assistant Professor of Surgery at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Karakousis, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, it is our pleasure, and this is something I know nothing about. Uh, Can you please just tell us what exactly is hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy? So hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, um, or HIPEC, is a procedure which involves infusing the peritoneal cavity in patients with advanced peritoneal surface malignancies with high-dose chemotherapy. And typically, this procedure is done in conjunction with what is called cytoreductive surgery or tumor debulking surgery, where the gross or macroscopic tumor is removed first, followed by this uh, chemoinfusion into the abdominal cavity. Fascinating. And I would think intraperitoneal is done to reduce side effects or increase efficacy? It's a combination of both. Um, carcinomatosis historically has had poor outcomes uh, in patients, and part of the, the, the thought behind that is that systemic therapies may not reach the peritoneum uh, as well as direct therapy. And so the idea is direct exposure of chemotherapy at doses that would be uh, not tolerable to be given systemically directly onto the surfaces where tumors were, and at a time when the tumor burden is lowest. So after the the large tumors have been removed, uh, to treat any microscopic disease that may be on the surface or floating in the peritoneal fluid uh, with the chemo infusion. So very high uh, intensity, uh, high concentration right on the tumor cells in the peritoneum. And the, the timing, it sounds like it's critical. Uh, how soon are we talking days after a cytoreductive surgery? It's done actually in the same setting. So typically, um, the cytoreductive surgery takes place, and that, that can vary from uh, just a couple hours to maybe even 9, 10, 11 hours. So these, are, these can be lengthy surgeries. Um, after the, the tumors have been removed, we introduce catheters uh, into the uh, abdomen and infuse the, the chemotherapy for approximately 90 minutes uh, under heat conditions, uh, typically 41 to 43 degrees centigrade. And uh, during that time, we're agitating the abdomen to allow for distribution of the drug and the, and the chemotherapy uh, throughout the abdomen. After this is completed, we remove the uh, catheters from the abdominal cavity. Uh, we carefully inspect all the surfaces, the viscous organs, to make sure there's uh, no untoward side effects from the therapy, uh, and then close the abdomen properly. Very interesting. And, and hyperthermic, so it is heated. Is that, uh, I would guess, again, for efficacy? Yeah, so there's a couple uh, thoughts as to the, the benefit of the heat. Um, for one, it's thought that the, and there's some uh, preclinical data to suggest that the heat uh, seems to be more effective against disruption of cancer cells and, and, uh, and increases the vascular permeability uh, of the chemotherapies into the tumors themselves. There may be some direct cytotoxic effect of heat uh, to the cancer cells, which is somewhat selective to cancer versus normal cells. And finally, it seems to allow for better penetration of the drug uh, into the tumor. Uh, so for a variety of reasons, the heat can, uh, can increase the efficacy of the chemotherapy alone under normal thermic conditions. Very interesting. So this heated, high-concentration chemotherapeutic agent is inserted at the time of surgery for about 90 minutes, and then 
removed and the abdomen is inspected and then you close up as you would from any other surgery. And what type of tumors are we treating with this method? So the variety of tumors that are treated uh, with this method, probably the most common uh, indication are these uh, low-grade appendiceal cancers or uh, what's clinically referred to as pseudomyxoma peritonei. And this is a situation in which patients can develop a significant amount of mucin uh, in their abdomen produced by the tumor cells uh, that, can, that can be very problematic and that may not necessarily be very responsive to uh, conventional systemic therapies. Um, other tumor types that, that patients can be candidates for this approach uh, include patients with limited uh, colorectal carcinomatosis um, and also patients with um, ovarian and, and less commonly gastric cancers. A, a, another group, which is an infrequent group, but an important group uh, to mention is patients with uh, primary peritoneal mesothelioma. These are patients who uh, we com more commonly hear about mesothelioma affecting the pleural surface, but it can also occur in the peritoneal lining of the abdomen. And for, for those patients, this may be a very efficacious uh, application. Very interesting. And is, is this typically done in place of systemic chemotherapy in these patients or uh, as an adjunct? Um, it depends on the histology. So for patients with these low-grade um, mucinous tumors where IV chemotherapy tends to not be effective, it can be done uh, as, the, as the primary therapy. In patients uh, where there are more efficacious systemic therapies, like for colon cancers or ovarian, it's usually done as an adjunct. So it depends on the individual uh, tumor type in terms of uh, what uh, role this plays in the overall treatment of the patient. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me today is Dr. Jorgis Karakousis, Assistant Professor of Surgery at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. We are discussing hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, or HIPEC. Dr. Karakousis, can this type of treatment be done a second time in a patient who uh, does not respond optimally? It can be. Um, it's, you know, this, this is a procedure, um, as I mentioned, which is a lengthy procedure and, uh, procedure and can involve hours of debulking. As a result, there can be a significant amount of scar tissue that's formed. Uh, and so um, patients who are uh, uh, candidates for um, secondary HIPEC procedures have to be carefully evaluated uh, to make sure that that the indication uh, is there. It, it can be done. It's a difficult procedure because um, you've many times form a lot of adhesions from the first surgery, uh, but certainly not impossible. And I imagine, as you're saying, that it's a very stressful procedure for the patient. They have to have a certain functional state, or how do you assess if someone is appropriate? So uh, that's, that's an excellent question. They're, they're both uh, tumor factors and patient factors that have to be evaluated. And, and uh, to back up a minute, these are all patients we kind of evaluate in a multidisciplinary setting in the, in the context of, um, of medical oncologists uh, and surgical oncologists and, and really as part of a whole team to assess what's, what's the optimal therapy for the patient. Among the tumor factors that we look at in evaluating a patient, uh, we talked uh, briefly about the histology as playing an important role, um, low-grade appendiceal cancers um, or other types of appendiceal cancers, the pseudomyxoma peritonei. Um, this primary peritoneal mesothelioma. But in addition to these tumor factors, we also look at other uh, factors, namely that they don't have evidence of extra-abdominal disease, uh, that they're not significant viscous metastases. So a patient with a colon cancer with 
significant liver metastases would not be an ideal candidate uh, likely for this type of approach. Um, the tumor volume of disease, so patients uh, can present with a, a, a spectrum of uh, burden of disease from small volume disease to high volume disease, uh, and we know that, that, uh, that the volume of disease is a predictor in terms of their response to this uh, particular approach. So those are some of the tumor factors um, that we look at. Patient factors, as you mentioned, the functional status of the patient, their performance status, um, age, uh, and, and just, just general overall um, sense of whether the patient will be able to tolerate a long procedure are, are certainly taken into account when we evaluate these patients. That's very interesting, and the thought comes to mind, you know, this sounds like a, a prolonged and very intense uh, treatment. Is anyone looking at this type of thing uh, the way we do peritoneal dialysis for our kidney failure patients, maybe a little less aggressive, but to do it uh, at, on several different occasions? Yes, uh, people have looked at um, giving this therapy not only at the time of surgery, but in some cases uh, leaving catheters um, at the time of surgery to instill uh, chemo uh, perfuse it into the abdomen uh, over the course of several weeks or even months after uh, the surgery. There are certain advantages and disadvantages to the two approaches. The advantage, of course, uh, is of, of doing the, the uh, what's called early postoperative chemotherapy or EPIC therapy. It may, it may shorten your time of surgery by not doing the uh, chemo perfusion right then and there, uh, the disadvantage is that you may not be able to achieve the benefits of the hyperthermia uh, because you can't achieve the, the heated temperatures um, in, in the outpatient or post-operative setting. Also, the distribution of the drug or the perfusing may not be uh, as good uh, when you instill, when you leave the catheters uh, because scar tissue forms uh, fairly quickly following a surgery, and so you may have uh, areas of loculated fluid and, and not get the distribution you're hoping for. Uh, as opposed to at the time of surgery when you've really had the abdomen exposed and have sort of freed up all of the adhesions. And I imagine that there have to be some side effects from this intensive type of therapy. What do patients experience uh, as a result of this from a side effect perspective? So most of the side effects uh, we feel from this therapy actually come just from undergoing a, a large uh, surgery or a lengthy surgery. Um, and with any lengthy surgery, uh, after several hours of anesthesia, there are certain side effects one could expect, ranging from uh, more surgically uh, directly related complications like wound infections and even fistulae forming um, from, from trying to remove tumors off the surfaces of, of, of the intestine or the small bowel, um, to other types of complications uh, also associated with just a long surgery like uh, DVT or PE. Uh, Etc. So the complications I think that, that tend to happen after the surgery um, generally are felt to result from just a lengthy surgery with a large tumor debulking. Uh, specific complications that can happen with regards to the chemo infusate uh, tend to be depending on what chemotherapy agent is specifically used. So agents that are used um, are excreted through the kidneys, so you may see a temporary rise uh, in the creatinine or uh, acute renal infection that's usually uh, usually uncommon and usually self-limited. Um, there is some um, some modest or mild um, systemic absorption of the drug uh, through the peritoneum, although most of it stays in the abdominal cavity, and that can also lead to the kind of anticipated side effects one would expect from just some small uh, dose of systemic uh, chemotherapy with some mild nausea postoperatively. The chemotherapy infusate can sometimes um, uh, maybe contribute to a more prolonged alias after the surgery, and so that's something we don't we, we see 
uh, commonly, uh, the patient may take uh, a couple more days than anticipated to, to have return to bowel function. That makes sense that that might happen after such an intensive, uh, concentrated uh, dose of medication. Um, uh, but, but don't see more inflammation, post-op fevers, things of that nature, beyond what you would see just with a typical prolonged laparotomy. No, not typically. Again, I think the majority of the morbidity uh, from this type of approach comes from the, the debulking, the extensive debulking. And it sounds like HIPEC is a more recent uh, development, a cutting-edge type of therapy available at Penn. Is this available more widely across the country? It is. You know, the actual concept is a concept that is not as novel. This concept is trying to instill um, regional uh, or trying to do an aggressive regional approach. And, and a lot of people compare this uh, to, uh, to a paradigm shift in the way we view carcinomatosis or limited peritoneal surface disease. You know, 20, 30 years ago, people viewed uh, liver metastases from colon cancer as sort of inoperable. Uh, and now uh, it's one of the mainstay of treatments uh, for patients with, uh, uh, with colon metastases to the liver is to do either surgical resection if feasible or, or combination of ablation um, or embolization or other therapies. Uh, similarly, I think the concept is for a certain subset of patients who really seem to have a peritoneal pattern spread of disease, taking an aggressive regional approach seems to make sense. And so while the concept has been around for several decades, it's really not till recently that it's been sort of um, more uh, instituted. And one of the pioneers of that approach is, of course, Dr. Paul Sugarbaker, um, who, is, was, who is in Washington and has really sort of brought it to the forefront. There are increasing numbers of centers that are doing this through the, throughout the country, um, but even so, it's a relatively specialized procedure um, that really takes a dedication of a surgical team that's familiar with these, uh, these uh, procedures, a medical oncology team that, that participates in the, in the multidisciplinary decision-making for selection of patients, uh, which is really the key uh, to this procedure, and a dedicated anesthesiology team who's familiar with these procedures and getting patients through these safely, and, of course, a post-operative nursing staff that can, that's familiar with these patients and, and sort of how to take care of them. And do we have any data yet on efficacy compared to more standard treatments? So the efficacy really depends on, uh, again, the, um, the type of histology. Um, so for, for patients um, that have uh, this, this pseudomyxoma peritonei, uh, historically those patients with debulking alone were known to recur with a very high incidence. And with this approach of combining the cytoreductive surgery with HIPEC, we see those recurrence rates go down. Because they're rare diseases and, and uh, there's not been randomized trials for that particular histology, but compared to historical cohorts, we're seeing improvements in recurrence rates. Uh, for colon cancer, there has been a randomized trial that, that showed a benefit to trying the, to combining the cytoreductive surgery um, with uh, HIPEC and, and, and systemic therapy compared to systemic therapy alone. Um, it doesn't answer the question of what the relative contribution of the HIPEC is over and above the cytoreductive surgery, but it did demonstrate that the combination approach of surgery, aggressive surgery with, with HIPEC uh, seemed to have a benefit compared to systemic therapy. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Yorgos Karakousis for being with us today and for describing for us HIPEC, hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, a new and exciting therapy for patients who have cancers in the abdomen that is bringing new hope for better prognosis in these often difficult conditions. Dr. Karakousis, thank you again. Thank you very much. 
You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine. To download this podcast or to access others in the series, please visit reachmd.com slash pen and visit Penn Physician Link, an exclusive program that helps referring physicians connect with Penn. Here you can find education resources, information about our expedited referral process, and communication tools. To learn more, visit www.pennmedicine.org slash physician link. Thank you for listening.